Maybe maybe right when we wrap up the series, we'll be we'll be back in sync somehow. <laughs> but that's still pretty damn close, considering half episodes and 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 covering multiple arcs and or issue arcs in one episode. That's still not bad. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Not yeah. bad at all. So, besides the um, besides the usual issue review. Which will be fun, just because there's, as as par for the course lately, J- Jim and I won't, apparently aren't going to see eye to eye on this. <laughs> no, which no, makes we will for, not. Which makes for better podcasting, of course, we know. But besides that, we're going to uh, drift back and, re- and at least momentarily resurrect our greatest toy podcast as the second half of this episode. We're going to be talking about some toys in general, but specifically, we're going to be talking about the new Netflix uh, doc docu-series, The Toys That Made Us, at least the first four episodes, since those are the only ones that are available for now, which at least guarantees we can, we'll have another episode when the other when the other four come out. <laughs> I think tra- that's how Mark, that's how Mark is going to trick me to come back and do another pre-birth oh, episode. Oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's right. I was, I'm glad you said that at least for, for uh, yeah. yeah, that'll be the little extra breadcrumb to get Jim to come back for pre-birth, <laughs> even though to be fair, uh, we it, it wasn't it kind of was a mutual thing between as we it is surprising I, I checked I mean we haven't done this since July that's why it seems like it definitely oh, yeah, it, yeah. Uh, that is not surprising to me at all yeah uh, <laughs> it's surprising it was surprising to me only because I thought we were gonna get one more in based on the original way Chad and I were pl- plotting things out but yeah it, episode 300 was such a that was such a monumental <laughs> monumental task that it just made sense at that point uh, to just <laughs> roll like eight, it over. Eight hours of podcasting. Like <laughs> yes. <laughs> and along with uh, the Green Arrow, Green Lantern one, so between those two important episodes that it just made sense to uh, just wait till the time was right. And because we have the toy thing to talk about, th- the time was right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what a coincidence. What a coincidence. Okay. So, um... Yeah, so today we got uh, Spectra issue 14, uh, written by DiMatteis once again. Uh, art on this one is uh, Hamilton. One of, one, of, one of the better artists on this. He's done some of the good ones. He's done the Two-Face. Two he's done the Parallax one. So. Yeah, Craig Hamilton is the penciler. Jim Royal is the inker. And nobody else matters. 
<laughs> it doesn't matter what your name is. <laughs> Actually, you know what? I will call out Bill Oakley on this one. Because <laughs> it's like the entire issue is like um, kind of a thought bubble. But it's like a, a rectangle. It's just a bunch of rectangles in like this script. This not quite easy to read script. So, yeah, that just it just adds to my disdain of this issue. But but, but to be um, fair, I think I do think the font is easier to read than what the Eternity in an Hour issue. I thought that font oh. was a little harder. I thought that font was harder to read. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, comparatively speaking, it's not the worst. No, <laughs> but you're right. Whenever, whenever you have kind of a a a scripty kind of font, it it's gonna always be gonna always be shaky, especially when you get contrasted later on when when ha- when the specter actually shows up and it's just like so nice and easy to read. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this issue starts with a picture of like you've got the the specter like kind of floating over the city and. Uh, and by the way, remember this image because you'll see it again at the end of the issue. <laughs> yes, that's right. They reuse art in this issue, which is great. But um, yeah, what do you call it? So you got the the Spectre, and he's you know, it looks like the issue is starting with him talking about remembering, you know, the city where he died. Yep. Because you've got him floating over a city, and his word bubbles referring to. Yeah, sometimes I'm drawn back down to the city where I died. Turns out, no, not so much. It's actually referring to a vampire stuck in the silver room. Uh, yeah, so we have this vampire in this glass tomb in a silver building that looks like a, like a, what is it? What was that? A rook in chess? Yeah. Nothing yeah. That, yeah. Um, yeah, so, is, yeah, is this guy's, it looks like he's been here for, you know, like, a hundred years or whatever. Uh, and, um, the, we basically get the idea that in the eighties, he was, uh, just a regular guy, N- not really much of anything, but he sees a woman in a club and, uh, decides to kind of go home with her. Turns out she's a vampire and he's food. He ends up becoming a vampire because of it. And, uh, you know, he kind of gives into the hungers of being a vampire and feeds on somebody, <laughs> and he feels so guilty and doesn't want her to turn into what he is, this monster, so he kills her, because I guess they're going by the vampire rules that if she dies from vampire wounds, she becomes a vampire, but if he just kills her from something, you know, like just to snaps her neck, then she doesn't become a vampire. Um, so there's that. And then, uh, yeah, he so he feels you know really really guilty about that, and um, he tries to kill himself. He goes to a church to try and have the priest, uh, you know, put a stake through his heart and kill him. But um, that doesn't work. He goes out in the sunshine. Sunshine doesn't kill him, which is weird. Um, then he resorts to just kind of like feeding on people that are freshly dead so that they can't become vampires all the while stealing money (laughs) using his vampire powers to build a giant silver tower with which to seal himself in forever so that he can never feed and hurt anybody else because that vampire um, yearning inside of him wanted uh, you know fresh fresh 
you know, fresh uh, food. No, uh, no more dead food. So he has himself sealed in. He crawls into his glass coffin, and there he is for. Uh, well, I mean, it, like I said, it looks like he's been there for a hundred years because his hair has now grown to the length of his body, and his fingernails uh, are like over a foot long. But this really only happened in like less than ten years. Um, yeah, so he's just basically like reliving his, you know, his nightmares over and over again, and he just all he wants is to die. And then uh, the specter, that same image from the first page, pops up again, and here he is. Uh, you know, you underestimate the one who made you, and you underestimate yourself. All you have to do is forgive yourself, basically. And uh, we see that woman that he, you know, first ate and then murdered. And she's, you know, she's totally happy with him and has forgiven him. And so they both ascend to heaven, and that's that's basically it. You have a way with words, my friend. <sighs> yes. So, so before I give my thoughts on this, I, I'm going to go out on a limb to say this was not one of your favorite issues of the series. <laughs> No, no. To me, like this is like, well, for one thing, it's not a, it's not really a, a spe- specter issue. I mean, it's it's barely it's barely specter at all. Um, it's basically just like Demetrius wanted to tell a vampire story, and he had the opportunity if he could loosely tie it into the specter. Um, it's I don't think it's an especially you know, interesting or fresh take on vampires. It's it was a fairly quick read, which I mean, I, I take solace in, but also, <laughs> you know, it, know it wasn't really jam packed. Um, yeah, it's just I don't know. It's just like kind of a kind of a trite story. It's almost like he phoned this one in. Hmm. Um, I mean, like some of the art, some of the art I do kind of like, um, but I mean, like there's, there's so much of it that's just seems reused. And if it's not reused, then it's like, he's making photocopies and slightly altering it. You know, I like this issue seems like, like between the writing and the art, it kind of seems like it was, you know, maybe slapped together real quick. I mean, I, I, I can see that perspective. I think part of the reason why I liked it was the fact that I I liked the fact that, like you said, from the very beginning, from the first splash page, you're thinking that it's Hal think, talking about himself. That you think Hal is kind of, even though we, we, should, we should kind of know in a way by the font, you know, in the colors, that it probably isn't. But based on the way it's designed and the way it's put on the page, we're supposed to just listen, listening to the words, reading the words. That we're supposed to think that it's Hal reflecting, even though once they get to the you know the city he died in, that kind of didn't make any sense related to Hal. But that was right. That was kind of like right at, towards the. That was getting towards the end anyway. But I do like I like the analogy that they they set up the comparison between Jonah, who's the vampire, and Hal. 
that basically, in a way, the same thing that Hal is wrestling with and making some progress with is the same stuff that Jonah is struggling with about not, you know, arguably not really being entirely responsible 100% anyway for what happened to you. Uh, or certainly not what you wanted in, in circumstances made you made you what you became, and then you may, you know you fell you know you you fell and then you try and then you're seeking you seeking redemption and the, and you have to forgive in a way you have to open yourself up and forgive yourself you know to ultimately get redemption yes you have you have to do some kind of penance to prove that you've changed but which of course he, this Jonah character essentially does. No matter, I mean, he do, he goes to pretty great extremes to try to, you know, make sure he doesn't hurt anybody again. But from like a Hal perspective, Jonah, it doesn't really matter that at the end of the day, you have to be able to forgive yourself. So even if everybody else forgives you, if you still don't forgive yourself, if you still refuse to accept it, then that's going to kind of be the chain around your neck or the albatross. And that's that's kind of the point that Hal, that one of the things that like Hal tells him about how, you know, that more or less God was trying to more or less God was trying to give you the hint, you know, when you were in church talking to the priest about that he was kind of like ready, you know, to forgive you, but you were kind of, but he was, but Jonah was too blinded by his guilt and looking for almost like absolution, but like quick, like super quick, uh, and and in a, like in a painful, violent death too, in a way, in a way that that seemed to be the only way, I guess. Seemingly, it seemed to, that that was his approach to try to to try to balance out the scales. That in order to make up for his sin, not only did he have to die, but ideally, especially once he tried to kill himself, you know, slit his wrists, and that didn't work. The idea that you know dying, you know, pretty violently or pretty painfully, uh, seemed appropriate for him. But so those are some of the things I did, I did like about it. Yeah, that's. You do have a point. Um, I, I guess I wasn't—I wasn't really thinking about the whole, you know, Hal having to forgive himself and being responsible for things that he may or may not have actually been, uh, you know, accountable for. Although, it, at this point, you know, Hal was definitely responsible for the things that he had done. You know, later on when oh yeah, you know, it turns out that he—it's the fear bug. So. I mean, this is this retroactively the comparison works better, but when it came out, not as much. No, I agree. That's why I tried. That's why I tried to choose my words carefully with that too, because it's yeah. because we know. Yes, now we can say yes. He was a lot. The analogy between par the, what we know Parallax was based on now, what we know he was the reason why he was what he was. That yes, that matches up a lot more. A lot more perfectly with you know Jonah's story now, but even then the idea that no matter what, it was kind of like a it 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 wasn't what he wanted. It was a circumstantial kind of thing. Basically, he started he went down a he went down a wrong path, but that path and he certainly never either one never intended it to take them to the extreme that it took them. <laughs> and yeah. then and then and that that's that's to me kind of like where that where I was going with that analogy based on that current or that. Or time frame, the, cur the current continuity time frame when this book came out of that parallax of what we thought parallax was. That's where I that's where I was kind of going with it. But just in general terms, yes, the idea of they both they both have done bad they both have done things they they regret, 
and they both need to forgive themselves. And again, it's it's also the it's also some of the irony that in a way that you know Hal is Hal can see that, can see that and point that out much more clearly for other people. But in but he, but for him he, he's having a harder time doing it himself. But even even though part of it is he is seeking his redemption by helping to redeem others, and I think that's kind of the ongoing theme is that if Hal can basically. If, Maybe in Hal's mind, if he can redeem enough irredeemable people, that that makes then Hal himself will be redeemed thus just by his role in that, you know. So. Yeah. Uh, you think they're gonna use that drop of blood at the end for something? <laughs> uh, I don't think so. But then again, I, I I couldn't even honestly tell you what, if if they ever if they. I'm pretty sure they don't go back to it, but <laughs> I don't know if they ever would have if the, if the series continued. Yeah. Um, and also, now that this guy's gone, there's just this giant silver tower <laughs> in the middle of nowhere for no reason. Housing for the homeless. Oh, God. Now, that that, no. that, that, te- that blood drop is just from his death to tear, right? That's one of the right, tears? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think the artwork. I think the artwork is better just with ha- with the Spectre. I think I think Hamilton's style works uh, much better with the Spectre than it does with the with the Jonah. Yeah, the well, Jonah I character. I think the Spectre the Spectre artwork is good. Um, not that there's a, a lot of it. Six pages, but, uh, I believe. I think I counted. He's on he's on six pages. I think in this book. One of them's a, a repeat. Yeah, it is true um, too. But um, the the part where Jonah like you know vampires out and like is like a bat vampire, like that art is pretty good. Yes. Uh, especially like him like swooping through the air, about to hunt the girl. Yes, um, almost like man. That bat. was pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, no, you know. I mean, like I said, I, I feel like this was a a slap together issue. There's a lot of panels with either like no background or a little background. Um, you know, I, I I I'm guessing that Hamilton was kind of like a last minute fill in. Uh, maybe something happened, whatever. But um, yeah, uh, either way. Um, yes, even though this isn't the worst font that we've seen, I feel like it really could have benefited from either being a little more easy to read or even a little bit smaller. Um, it's not like, you know, it's not like making that font like just a little bit bigger would have taken out too much of the actual art or, you know, anything really worth looking at. But uh, yeah, I, I agree. I agree that in, in some in some places the font, you know, some words, some letters, the font really is problematic. Overall, you know, you can read it, but like even when the first time he he says that his name is Jonah on page two, it's like I had to like squint at that a couple of times. Is that is he's just saying Jonah, right? <laughs> so it's like, yeah, it's it's always. It's it's always shaky when you're using a script font. It's just yeah, you know, it's because it tends 
because script fonts tend to be smaller and they tend to be you know put smushed closer together and it's like yeah I don't know but poor choice probably and poor, poor choice Oakley <laughs> so did you think this issue was was worse than the eternity in an hour or did you um, or did you release like the concept more of, of the eternity in an hour so that so well that, I mean, considering that I've completely expunged Eternity from in an hour <laughs> from my memory, <laughs> I, I guess um, by virtue of me having completely and utterly forgotten it, it's better. I don't know. Wait, which one was that? Which issue or what? Or what the story? Oh, the story that. Uh, I think that was the one that remember they had the whole. I think the Adam and e, the Adam and Eve comparison. Or whatever, oh, and the, the the chick who was di- the chick who was dying, and ha- and how from your, your like your interpretation was, I think they were trying to imply that Hal kind of might have been Adam or whatever, and, and then yeah, she died, yeah. and then, then all her that time awful. time caught up to her like in the final hour or whatever. Okay, I would say that was that was uh, just irritatingly bad. Um, this one is just kind of like. Uh, I mean, I'll give it an extra couple of points because of the, like the the Hal comparison that you you mentioned. Um, but I mean, like Eternity in that hour, like I'd put that at like, I don't know, a two, a one, you know, just just really just over the top with the you know kind of using like a sledgehammer to hammer home some of the ideas. Um, whereas this is like. It's not really. I don't know. It's just kind of there. It's a vampire story, and maybe I put it at like a three or a four. Maybe a three. <laughs> yeah. Not 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 even an extra half a point because of the fact that Jonah likes some Rubenesque women as victims. <laughs> uh, yeah, she, she's no stick like, figure. Like, is that uh? Is that was it? Hope, hope or faith? The one from uh, the Valiant Universe. <laughs> I don't. I'm not sure. Oh God. Yeah. I mean, the the makeup on this woman is like kind of. Uh, anyway, it's weird. Now you have the physical issue in front of you. No. Oh, you have no, the digital. No. Yes. Because, because I find it this. One of the things as soon as I open this. This this issue up it kind of surprised me not or maybe it made it more made me laugh than actually surprised me that it they actually have the inside cover is the uh, for the for the ninth annual Wizard Fan Awards <laughs> <laughs> and 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 over on the left hand side under the in, under the uh, category of favorite breakout talent is this, this is this unknown hack by the name of Jeff Johns nominated for JSA <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Which is really funny, considering that, that that just shows you how he was still relatively off the radar screen, despite the fact that he did do uh, the uh, for Judgment Day, which started this whole Spectre thing, and that was several years before this at this point. Yeah, I don't think he was making any marks on uh, on comics with that. <laughs> hey, it could be worse. Um, yeah, so... Speaking of uh, Wizard Magazine, can we uh, shift topics yet? <laughs> yes, we can, we can. We can shift topics. Um, 
next next time we actually do come back and do the Spectre, it's probably going to be. I, it may not. I can't make guarantees. We're not going to split it with the toy thing because it depends what top what issue what what issues we do. Even though the next thing with the Spectre is actually I think a multi-issue arc, so that probably cut probably cuts down on that. But it, it'll it won't be six months. It won't be six months. We'll 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 get we'll we'll get one done in the second <laughs> quarter at least. <laughs> but yes, we can say that's right what now. Mark thinks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jim. Uh, okay, uh, segue away. Give me connection. One sec. Yeah. Okay. As Jim, of- just for technical difficulties. Okay. You're Hello? Back. There, you, there you go. Okay, perfect. Uh, should have checked that before we started recording, but... What happened? Uh, no, I was... Um, I was. I lost you again. Uh, now I'm on the fan, so... Hello? Yeah, you're, there, you're back. Mark? Yes. Okay. Okay. Oh, perfect. Maybe, maybe the good connection really wasn't that great. <laughs> uh, well, we'll see. I can always switch back if I have to. Um, yeah, so it's funny that you mentioned Wizard because, like, I would say maybe two, two or three weeks ago, I was uh, weeding out and I was going through my old Toy Fair magazines. And, I, you know, like, I don't really care about them anymore. So, like, I was planning on throwing them all out. But I'm like, you know what? Let me go through them to see if there's anything worth saving. And, like, you know, I pulled out a couple of pages here and there. There was, like, a couple of, like... Um, there were a couple of Star Wars jokes, which I thought were, like, hilariously still relevant, which I have to show you at some point. But um, my favorite thing with when going through old toy fairs is finding the toys that never came out. Ah, I gotcha. So, I, like, I didn't find too many of them this time around, but, like, the, the notable ones were the... Um, Aqua Teen Hunger Force toys from Palisades. <laughs> like, I, I remember so vividly, like, they had, and I, I actually have um, the uh, Master, uh, Master Shake. It's like Master Shake, and it comes with, like, the glow-in-the-dark moth. And then, like, the next wave was going to have Frylock and Meatwad. And, like, I have, like, perfect images of, you know, what these things look like. And it just never happened. And then there was, like, another spin-off wave of just Aqua Teen Hunger Force, and it was, like, you know, Carl and another Meatwad and the Moonanites and uh, MCP Pants for everybody that actually watched Aqua Teen Hunger Force. And then, you know, we've got photos of all these figures, but, you know, as you may or may not know, Palisades folded up right around that time, and none of those toys got made. So... Unfortunately, that does that does happen in the toy biz. Yeah, yeah, it happens. I think less now because you know, worst comes to worst, you could always like crowdfund something if you have the prototypes. True. But um, yeah, and I mean, also like, you know what? I say that and. <laughs> A series near and dear to us. It didn't happen with the Green Lantern animated action figures. Yeah, that 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 really was unfortunate. But uh, I mean, 
I guess I guess the, the the benefit with that is that the prototypes ended up going to some dude in like South America somewhere who started like casting them. Oh, I still have my my little kilowog from that line that's, from that guy. That's cool though. It, it it is too bad. It just didn't. Just never was to be, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Nice line. Anyway, so the topic for this part of the show is the toys that made us. Yes. Very you want to fu- give a rundown? Sure. Uh, I think, I'm trying to remember. When did I tell you this? This came out like in Jan- or was in January, right? Or was it December? I'm trying to remember now whether it was December or not. Um, um, I think it was January. I think it. I think it was too. Uh, if I think so, but either way, on Netflix, in relatively recently, they put out a, and it's supposed to be at least eight parts. Right now, I think it's supposed to be eight parts, but but like everything else, everything has to be released in waves. <laughs> so it is the toys that made us, and and it basically focuses on more or less iconic, um, cultural relevant toys that not only had an impact at the time that they came out, but have a, still have a major impact on culture and, and with people and collectors today. So the first four episodes, not surprising, the first episode is Star Wars. Uh, the second episode was Barbie, correct? Yes. And the third was He-Man, and the fourth was G.I. Joe. Mm-hmm. And they all are... They, it's kind of interesting because there's a different story behind behind each in and and they all but but the whole premise works for all of them as they all kind of had a huge impact on the, on the toy industry the st- i mean obviously jim has a strong affection for he-man and those toys uh gi joe i was more from a toy perspective i was more into gi joe gi joe when i was younger so i was more used to the bigger gi joes when they were being phased out and even that part of the episode was interesting just how how as G.I. Joe was starting to wind down, you know, first adjusting because of the Vietnam era and then post-Vietnam and everything else, that they were doing everything they could to try to keep that brand relevant, even though they were moving it less and less away from being a straight-up military toy. Uh, but that was the, but that was the, that was the era when I was, when I, with the, of the big G.I. Joes I had. Like I, you know, I definitely had the ones that talked when you pulled the cord. I had, I th- I think I think I had that uh this the the ask not the astronaut the uh, scuba the scuba one I think I had the scuba guy I think I I think because I'm pretty sure I had the octopus that's why I remember him I know I had a sp- I think I there was a spacesuit that I had from one of my guys <laughs> the spacesuit the spacesuit because I remember because it's almost like it was like more like kind of like suit higher quality aluminum foil because eventually it would peel off the astronaut outfit. <laughs> The actual, the you know, the skeleton of the suit would would be all that was left, and I did have that intruder guy, that brute guy at the end, that the guy that closed his arms. I did have I did have him, and that's for the, the alien intruder figure. There are a bunch of things, so I had I I did have I did have those in the tail end, and I got and my the first when they first released the first handful of the three and three quarter GI Joes. I did have those. I still have most of those. Some of them broke, but I do. <laughs> but so GI Joe is relevant to me from a time 
G.I. Joe and Star Wars are most relevant to me based on my age and based on the toys that I was actually playing with because I, cause I remember you – know, I wasn't on the ground floor because I wasn't there buying the toys because I still was relatively small. But I remember the even the pseudo-horror stories that my mom and grandmother told me like trying to get me the friggin' land speeder when they finally, when they finally got them. It was just nuts when they when those toys finally arrived. But so we can talk about different episodes. I'm not sure which which one. We should probably just pick one and delve into it. So which one do you want to delve into first? I mean, I think we have to start with Star Wars. Yeah, Star Wars, which kind of changed. You know, uh, uh, up until what I found the beginning of that episode was really interesting because now we live in a world in which every friggin' movie under the sun has toys, pretty much. Even if it makes yeah. no sense to have toys, they <laughs> have toys. But, uh, Dead Men Tell No Tales really didn't need a toy line, but yet they had toys. Listen, Wild Wild West had a toy line, I believe. That doesn't surprise me. Every, Pretty much everything has some kind of top product and merchandising tie-in now from a movie perspective. But, long time ago, when the galaxy far, far away, before Star Wars, that really wasn't the way things were worked and then they pointed out and they told it was much harder because that you have to also remember this was before VHS and things like that so there really was no home video so there was no so you really couldn't kind of indoctrinate kids the same way you could on movies these days between even even with the from VHS going to DVD and Blu-ray and streaming that you see a movie you may like it but it's going to be out of, out of sight out of mind real quick and maybe you'll get, you might still be interested if it shows up on, you know, ABC, CBS, or NBC. But other than that, it's pretty much it goes by the wayside, and you don't, you know, you don't really think about it. But almost all the toys, besides just being generic toys, were they they were being related to TV shows because TV shows were things that there were there was always fresh material. And because I I, I like when they talked about the Lone Ranger because I actually I. I had I I had more more than one Lone Ranger because I remember my my first one I think just he spit the bit, but I had him I remember having him I I had him if I remember correctly I had him I had Tonto I had Butch Cavendish, and I think I actually had their two horses I think I had Scout and Silver, I don't I never had a Butch Cavendish's horse but I did think I know I had Silver <laughs> and I think I had Scout too. So, which was pretty interesting that that toy that that toy line that's that's the power of syndication, because when I'm how I mean when the hell was that series that, that the Clayton Moore series wasn't that was that that was either the 50s or the 60s, I think. I, I don't I don't know. I, I'll, uh, I'll, yeah, we can Google it. But the mere fact that they were still making toys of those into the 70s just tell you the power you know the power of of syndication and how the TV shows kind of. That they were the things that went that kind of were being passed on from generation to generation more than more than any movies. Maybe the yeah. thing about Star Wars, which made me, which I kind of thought about when they were talking about it. I guess Mego was Mego must have been the rare exception because Mego had had a lot of tie-ins, not just from TV shows and comic books, but they actually did have a few things related to. They at least had Planet of the Apes. Mego did have a lot of. They did have a lot of Planet of the Apes toys, because including the playset. One of the, I think the only two Mego playsets I ever had one was one was the Star Trek one with the bridge, you know, with the transporter that spun around and stopped when you hit the button, and one was Ape City, 
because I just remember how Ape City folded up. I mean, I had the Batmobile and things like that, but I don't think – I think those were the only two play sets I had. But back in the day before Star Wars, movie merchandising was pretty much non-existent, and nobody, nobody saw it as a means to make money, which is – Part of the one, one, one of the more interesting things in that episode is it's almost it's like almost like legendary how Lucas and at the time Lucas with Fox 20th Century Fox was oh. what you found something yeah um, I'm looking uh the the toys for Planet of the Apes like were they started coming out in like seventy uh, four yeah seventy four and seventy five and it happened because. In 1973, Fox was showing the first two ape films on TV, and all five ape films back to back in marathons in movie theaters. Yep, go ape! I remember it. Yeah, that's yeah, that's literally the the poster that I'm yep. looking at. And yeah, so there there you have it. Because of the fact that they made that movie, you know show up on TV and in, you know, like the marathons, that's how they were able to support the toy line. And it also does kind of, and, and it does make sense that it, it really, they would really start de- delving into that market ru- kind of when the series was wrapping up or when they had, they had plenty of material to like, to go through. Mm-hmm. Like, I think, I mean, I think they still did. I think they did, they did toys related to the TV show too. When they, when they when they launched that short, short-lived, ill-fated TV show, but I just remember, like I remember some of the plan of the of the Mego Plan of the Apes. I had, I had Cornelius, I had Zira, I had Doctor Zayas, I had, I think, I think it was Aldo. I know I had the general, I had the generic ape soldier, and I know they had an astronaut, but I don't think they ever called him Taylor. For whatever reason, I think he was in this blue suit for some reason. I think he and a helmet. I don't think they called him Taylor. But I know there was an astronaut. I know there was an astronaut in that line. Um, Alan Verdon or Peter Burke. Oh, Peter Burke, yeah. Yeah. And it looks like the, the Lone Ranger TV show. Um, 50s. Yep, the 50s. So that just tells you how long that was in in pop culture and consciousness that they were still they, that they were the mere fact that they were still making toys that you could just actually you know. There was just there was no eBay at the time, <laughs> but you could. They were still making toys. You could you could go out and buy in the in the in the friggin' seventies of the Lone Ranger, because and they were. But Star Wars changed everything, and because again because movie toys were not particularly popular, and Lucasfilm and um, Lucas and Fox, 20th Century Fox couldn't find anybody who was interested in making those toys. Poor poor little Kenner. Poor little Kenner from Cincinnati not not only hit the ground running, but they got like the ultimate sweetheart deal on the, on this. <laughs> oh, yeah. Ninety five cent. The original deal between Lucas Fox and Kenner was that Kenner was gonna Kenner got ninety five cents on the dollar for every single every single what's what toy they they sold. Mm-hmm. So that was that was just. That was incredible because, as they pointed out, as, as many you know, like billions of dollars as, as like the movie, the Star Wars movies have made, pretty much double that, and that's how much the toys have and the, the merchandising have made. It's amazing how like how they crumbled on that the minis line. Yeah, yeah, that's is true. But, because like I think because I you know I remember now now going back. 
I I was born in '79, so like I pretty much completely missed the whole toy phenomenon with Star Wars. I knew of Star Wars. I I had probably seen them by the time I was like five or so. Um, but like, what do you call it? Um, I didn't have any of the toys. I had a lot of toys, but I did not have any Star Wars toys. And I think like the first Star Wars toys that I had at all were those minis. Like, and I had like a couple because like my neighbor was like selling them at a garage sale, and I was able to get like one or two. And I had a friend who had like a bunch of them, and like you know the um, the vehicles to go with it, which I thought were like the greatest things. But yeah, like I, I thought that the minis were cool, but you know I, I like like they said in the uh, the show. People had already committed to the three and three quarters, and they weren't going to invest in a brand new line. Right. I mean, it, it does. It, it it that's that's the reality. It, it is hard. I mean, if I mean nowadays because the collect because the collectors aspect. I mean that, and they talk about obviously there was a collectors fan base back then too, but I think back then you still had more people actually buying these to play with them and to give to their kids and stuff and now it's always debatable how what kind of percentage of these toys ever actually get played with versus people just you know holding on to them but it kind of but I look I look at it how star how they branched out you know the uh, like the black you know the black figure line right the, 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 yeah that first they first the mere fact that they 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 jumped. They jumped up to do six-inch figures, which was not, you know, really anything Star Wars had really ever done before. And then that line of, of more advanced sculpts and everything was cool. So they said, "Hey, let's 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 go back and do a smaller scale figure, but like being, you know, with more what articulation and more detail." And then you had like the the smaller scale of Black Series. So I think Star Wars has gotten Star Wars has gotten so big that it's obviously you can still. You can still swing and miss, but but you but Kenner it made sense. Kenner was going to try that because they also knew that at the time that it looked like the gravy train was about to run out. Since yeah. They, so they were they were they were desperate. They they were I'm desperate might not be the strong right word, but they were they were trying to be proactive. They they knew what was coming down the road, and there was no, and there was no reason to believe. Certainly, based on what Lucas was telling them, that there were going to be more movies, and that was the important thing about the Kenner deal too. That pretty much they had to deal with Lucas in, per, in perpetuity or whatever. That as long as they were going to be making toys, as long essentially as long as Kenner made, they could make toys for, and have that license as long as as long as they wanted. And the only caveat was more or less, Lucas Lucas had to get like at least ten <laughs> at least ten thousand dollars. From Kenner, whether it was the straight-up check from Kenner or ten thousand yeah. dollars in royalties during the course of a year, yeah. so if and at some point when when Star Wars started fading out, like in the late in the late eighties, uh, that license kind of went by. They 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 let it slip. That you know there was a gap, and of course eventually what Hasbro ended up buying Kenner anyway. But the the gap that slip up that. That more or less opened the door for for when when that time came when fan, when the the build up towards Phantom Menace was starting once they he announced there were going to be no, new movies you know Hasbro slash Kenner was they were desperate literally to get the to, to get the license back and Lu, and Lucas was smart and he kind of he was playing one off against the other uh, even if he 
which you always do, even if deep down you really want to go back with this company no matter what, you still want to make him work for it. <laughs> and that's why they ended up getting a less than sweetheart deal the second time around when they, when I think when they only got like 82%, I think 82 cents on the dollar. I think 18, I think Lucas got like 18 cents on the dollar after that, <laughs> which on the surface seems like oh that's still not a lot, but it's enough to it was certainly enough to make Hasbro concerned whether they were going to turn a profit or not. <laughs> Short term. They obviously yeah. they, they obviously had no – as they have acknowledged in that episode, it still was a good deal for them no matter what. <laughs> but it was it was, uh, it was was tough going after Phantom Menace, but <laughs> with all those bins. Right. But, but, it, but Phantom Menace was like – it was like a double-edged sword because in the, in the, in the beginning, you know, they were just – they were just – you know, cleaning house on Phantom Menace stuff. You know, the first, when Phantom Menace first opened, yeah, that was a, see they, see, they did, for better or for worse, they learned their lesson after that because the benefit of when Phantom Menace, when all the toys came out for Phantom Menace, you pretty much could get every figure. And you put every figure that actually was being released that, that night, you pretty much were going to get. You, you had a, you, you were going to be hard pressed not to be able to, to get. There might have been a few figures that were tough. You know, maybe like the non, you know, the non-mail-away Mace Windu and things like that. Maybe those might have been tough, but almost, you know, the four different battle droids, all these different, you could get, you could get them. By the time they got, they did Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith, then it started become, then it started become harder because some figures were in different case assortments. I remember we lucked out when when Chuck and I went to Toys R Us for the Midnight Madness for, uh, which was a Monday night, which is such such an odd night. Uh, for Attack of the Clones, that by luck of the draw, I went left because they had, they had all these racks set up in the front. I mean, the whole rack of going from left to right, and I just went left. And by luck of the draw, that's where the, they only had a few cases that had Dooku in it, and that's why we we were able to get Dooku right off the bat. But if if you had if I had gone right or gone in the middle, those figures would have been gone. So and I remember when Revenge of the Sith came out, they for the Midnight Madness, which at least was smarter. That was a Friday night. They had uh, Toys R Us didn't have every assortment, like the whole uh, Mustafar, Obi Wan, and, and Anakin. They didn't ever had. They didn't have those. So I, my friend John and I, we went down to uh, we went down to Walmart just the hell of it to look, and Walmart actually had that had those figures. So it started become it started becoming increasingly difficult, and I, and I think that was part of them trying to increase the demand and and things like that too. But it just so that, again, from a from a collector's perspective, it didn't make it easier after Phantom Menace, but you could kind of kind of understand maybe why they dialed it back a little. Because yes, they had ton they had tons of product even before they ever went into the into the discount bin. It was like even even the day after the Midnight Madness for for Phantom Menace, you walked in and besides everything that was on the pe- on the peg hooks, they had, they had bins where more or less at that point. Which it started, you know, they started doing that the night of the Midnight Madness, just to try to, there was no point trying to put stuff on the peg hooks, because people, you know, people, <laughs> they weren't animals, but they were close, so they, so you got to the yeah. point where they were, do you handle things two ways, either you just slit the boxes open and left them and let people go through them, which they did, or they just yeah. slit them and they just emptied the bo- they just emptied them all into the bins and then just did that after the other, so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I I know. I remember that. I, I actually remember going in the day after the Midnight Madness, and it was still like pretty busy. Like people were still going through them. But um, yeah, it wasn't until later on that they were like you know, kind of repurposed as discount bins. 
I, I do remember, like, as the life of the movie, you know, you know, progressively got farther on, by the time, like, the, I guess the, the DVD came out, they were coming out with, like, certain things that were not quite as available as the initial stuff. You know, like, you had, like, the three-packs and, um, yeah, like, just different, you know, scenarios. I remember, what was it, the, um, you had people from the pod racing, you know, like, the spectators. Yes. Which came out, like, a while after the movie, but, like, that was one of those things that was, like, on, like, your, your Wizard or Toy Fair, like, hot list, because you couldn't get it right away, like, you know. Because they were, they didn't make a lot of them, and the initial demand like wiped them out, and you had to wait for it. But um, yeah, and then they started doing like all the old classic stuff again, and like redoing it. I remember the, the monkey faced Leia. Yes, <laughs> that, that, the power. Of the, yeah, the power. That was the power of the Force line, which actually pre- obviously predated the prequels, but. But yeah, uh, yeah the old the old the the uh, st- the uh, steroids, <laughs> the 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 performance enhance enhancement taking drugs Star Wars characters when when Chewie was super bulk bulked up and <laughs> and, the, and and I mean like I, I remember people just like going nuts for a Luke with a removable hand. I, that that was that's something that I still remember. Like people were like so enamored. Like that figure was like impossible to find for like the longest time. Yeah, the the original. One, yeah, the the one that yeah the one that came out uh before the before the prequels, right? Was I think or was I think it was before the prequels? I don't I don't remember the timeline of the Power of the Force. That was the um, le- mid to le- that was mid to late nineties because I was still. Because I was still working at Kmart at the time, so I still – one of my jobs, I was still working there. So I actually – even though I, that wasn't my department, A, I had the I had the quote-unquote luxury of being able to look in the back. So sometimes you see cases before they ever hit the floor. And plus I was friends with uh, with the woman who ran sporting goods, and she and that with toys fell, fell under sporting goods. So I could like kind of get her to order stuff or – not just for me, but just because I th- thought it would sell and it would. So that's so that's one of the – that's how I think I got my sh- – my, all my Shadow of the Empires figures, because those cases just just they just came in, and I was able to I was able to first I was able to raid them and for myself, and then I was able to put out put out a, I I just went in into the aisles and just in, you know wherever they were supposed to go, and I just put them out just because I figured somebody would be interested in them. But yeah, I mean I do I do remember I remember what was really big was the removable helmet Vader. Yes. Which which yeah. might have been which might have been in this which might have been in the same wave with the removable hand Luke. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, I I feel like it was and that one might have been like another wave after that, but it was right around that same yeah. time frame. Because I remember I remember this vividly. I was trying to get those, and back when back when at the time at Walmart, and I think I think they were still 24 hours at this at this time, but. They were pretty cool, and the guy, you know, some of the people, I kind of became sort of buddies with, some, very casually with somebody at at uh, Walmart. But he had no problem with if you said, you know, if you want to, like, if you want to call, you know, usually like somewhere like one or two in the morning or something is when they would know what they had and what was going out. So 
you know, I, I called one night. I called one night, and they and he said, "Yeah, we got we there's a bunch there's a bunch of cases." So I, I went down there, and they and I, when I went down there, there literally was room for one box, to to get one box to open and fit on the peg hooks, and I knew what the assortment was. I knew what the assortment number was, the basic assortment number, but I didn't know what the decimal code number, you know, the point oh one or point oh two, whatever they had after it. So it was a complete friggin' luck of the draw that I. That I I picked the case that I did for him to open, and by luck of the draw, it was the case with the removable helmet Vader. So I think there were three in that box. So I I only needed two, so I, I I didn't get the third just to be greedy or anything. But I, but yeah. So I mean, it it, it made it, it was kind of fun back in those days looking for stuff. Yeah. Uh, it it really was. I mean, you find new stuff. Like I I remember I remember when I hit the jackpot down at Walmart one one morning. When the uh, I think it was the snowtrooper in the Imperial Guard, I think it was that wave that came out, and they just had them down there, and I was like, oh. And I remember I, I hit the jackpot down there in a completely unrelated thing to Star Wars when the total just the second wave of total justice figures came out, and the parallax figure came out. I hit I hit the jackpot that morning because they had like two or three <laughs> parallax out. Like, oh, I'm getting those. So yeah, that that's when toy that's when toy collecting was fun, and now obviously you know I'm in a different place in my life when it and yes, yeah, it does make it easier if you want something to just order it. I mean, let's be honest. But there was something about there is that thrill of the hunt factor that. But like anything else, you know, when you're when you're trying to achieve something, once you get it, you feel good momentarily, and then like by the next day or two day a few days later, it's like now it's on. Now it's the next thing you got to try to find. Got to chase that high. Yeah, you got to chase. That's very accurate. You got to chase that high. And, and for me, from a Star Wars perspective, Attack of the Clones is what finished me off because there were too many, too many figures after the first wave that was that were hard to find. And then yes, redoing those figures over and over again, which obviously was smart from from Hasbro's perspective. They make they made a lot of money on those, but it just that I think I was still a completist from that point. Up through Phantom Menace and up through the beginning of Attack of the Clones, but once we got to like the second or third wave, I think Attack of the Clones figures, which also had, which also had a that uh, colored that card that had another re- Luke with removable hand because that had the one with the magnet in it because I remember that one. I, that's one of my favorite Luke figures, the one that his hand was held on by a magnet. That once we got to pass that wave or so, that's when I said, Nah, I'm not. I'll get some figures that I like. Like even with Revenge of the Sith, I don't, I don't know if I have. I probably only have like about maybe ten Revenge of the Sith figures if I even have those. So they suck too much money from you. Lord knows, uh, and I got bo- and I got boxes and boxes and boxes, especially at Phantom Menace because by that point, a friend of mine who worked at Kmart and he went, he started working over in Walmart and he worked at Toys. So whenever something new would come out. You know, I he pretty much would just pick it up for me, and just and, and I just go out. I, I'd go out to my car the next day, and there'd be a bunch of figures sitting in my <laughs> sitting in my car. <laughs> so yeah, but they, but the I mean, the, just the assortment boxes were so huge for Phantom Menace. I mean, some of those boxes were like eighteen, twenty-four figures in a case. Because I had them, I had those boxes downstairs stored with with figures. <laughs> Not all Phantom Menace, but just in general, just storing Star Wars figures. I was like, wow. It's like that's just in you know it. So, but obviously, as we found out with uh, Forceless Friday before uh, Force Awakens, that they that they haven't exactly been uh, keeping 
keeping the cupboards full when it comes to like the three and three quarters figures and stuff like that anymore. They they did it better, I think, with Last Jedi, but I, I it's still not. That's another thing. I mean, it becomes too becomes too challenging if you honestly, even if it's a little more money, if you really want to, if you want like all these figures in the case or or all but one, you're better off just ordering the case. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just sell off that extra one. The uh, Darth Vader with the removable helmet came out in 1998. I can't not find a uh, Luke. No, I just can't find like a go website that's you know that lists you know all of them. But um, anyway, yeah, I uh, my I think like the the extent of my Star Wars collecting was yeah right around the powers of the Force line. Uh, I got, I definitely got some of the, um, what do you call it, uh, the Phantom Menace figures. I don't remember getting too many of the Clone Wars, maybe like a couple, and I was almost completely out by the uh, Revenge of the Sith. Um, I, like, I remember, I well, I, of course I remember, but like, uh, from 15 years ago to 13 years ago, I worked at Walmart and I ran a toy department. And I do not remember Star Wars being that big of a deal at that time. Like, I remember, like, there were maybe a couple of, like, vehicles. Like, maybe I think, like, um, an X-Wing came out. But, like, beyond that, um, yeah, I don't, I don't really remember Star Wars... Do we have a do we have a, a year for this one? Looks like uh, it looks like nine it could be ninety seven. Yeah, okay. I think it looks like it's that. I think it looks like it's ninety seven for that one. I forgot I forgot it was on uh, one of those freeze frames, and I would have realized. Yeah, but I now. Uh, well, the the Vader with helmet uh, removable helmet was also a freeze frame. Yeah, they did that. They did that for a while, but I couldn't I couldn't really remember the. I remember the figure that we were talking about for Luke, but I couldn't remember the packaging. That was the thing. In my mind's eye, the only one, the the, the one, the one that I remember, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you this one next. The one I remember is the one that came out in the uh, Attack of the Clones line on the blue card with the with the piece of the of the weather the weather thing on Bespin. The one. That, that's the one I that's the oh. physical that's the physical figure I remember because I, I know where that is I had that open downstairs I think I have him dueling Vader the one with the because the magnet holds his hand in but I but now that I found the that power the freeze frame card that brings back a lot of memories because yeah I do remember how difficult that that figure was yeah how rare that one was to find or just like Luke and ceremonial jacket in the in the jacket with the metal from uh from the end of Star Wars I remember that but I had zero interest in that one. To me, like the removable hand was way cooler. But yeah, the the one that you you also linked from the Empire Strikes Back that was uh, that was cool. But anyway, so I, I think we've we've probably gone in depth enough into Star, Star Wars. Wars. Yes, <laughs> as fun as um, it is. Yes, <laughs> it was. But I mean, like as much as we've talked about it, you should still watch that episode. Um, uh, we've we've discussed GI Joe a bit. They did. Um, Barbie, which, you know, strange as it is to say, you know, you don't expect it, but the Barbie one was super interesting because, like, the creator of the origin of Barbie 
is that she basically she's based on like a kind of like um a doll that they made as a joke in like was it Sweden or the Netherlands or something like that as like um based on a cartoon or a comic of a uh, was it a, like a hooker or like a call girl? Yeah, it was something like that. Yeah, it's, something yeah. to that effect. And they basically took the exact same doll and just kind of like modified it a little. <laughs> so, but yeah, like the guy who you know was, I guess, spearheading this was also into like orgies and stuff like that. And he was having celebrities over his mansion kind of castle. I mean, like, uh, the story is just ridiculous. Um, but yeah, that, that's that's very interesting. I loved the He-Man episode because that was, like, that was my toy line. That was the one that I followed the most. I, I remembered, uh, I mean, I remembered a lot of it, but I mean, like, back when He-Man came out again for, like, the in the 2000s, like, I got super into that line, too. That line was sculpted by, like, the Four Horsemen, uh, who, you know, they've, they've sculpted so many toys out there nowadays, it's, you know, you don't even realize how much they've uh, influenced toys, like, for our generation, well, or the next generation, rather. But, um, yeah, when that, when that happened, like, I got super into it, and I was, like, finding out, like, as much as I could about that line, and then also, you know, I guess by virtue also, you know, learning more about the old line. And, like, there's this book by, like, there's a book by Roger Sweet, one of the guys that they entered, you know, the guy who was like, pow, you know, like, <laughs> that, that that dude. Um, and, like, you know, I got that, like, that was like, God, almost 20 years ago. No, um, 15 years ago. That book is, like, worth, like, 80 It's going for $80 on Amazon now because it's just, like, this batshit crazy book that that dude wrote. Um, but, I mean, like, now there's, like, just a ton of, like, He-Man history books and art books and stuff like that. Um, and this, you know, this kind of, like, this, I guess, probably got a lot of information from that and from the original guys, so the episode was amazing. Um, kind of made me want to, like, go back and, you know, find out even more about uh, the uh, the origins and stuff like that, but it was very cool. I, I, He-Man's an interesting line for me because, again, that was that kind of hit right when it was kind of like out of out of my age group. Uh, I I stopped I stopped you know I didn't start collecting toys to collect them yet because I was too young. So you kind of got to the point where you should be, or based on conventional wisdom, you should stop playing with your toys. <laughs> You know, that kind of – so that phase, like I said, that hit right around the G.I. – which will be a nice segue eventually into, to talk a little bit about G.I. Joe. But G.I. Joe was like the – that was the last of pretty much – so I so I was right – so it was before Transformers. So Transformers was not in my wheelhouse. I didn't really watch the show. I didn't have the toys. Uh, He-Man, I did watch the show a little bit. But, I ne- but again, that was right – you know, right when I stopped. But the packaging of those figures was so – good <laughs> and the size yeah. of those figures was so and the sculpts were so unique that you know you just vividly that in your, in your mind's eye you still see that packaging just like again star wars is kind of unique briefly going back 
time, well, it's still, it's still circul- circling back to, uh, um, to this, that it's unique because of the fact that it's, Star Wars has had so many different kinds of packaging. And obviously most of that start, most of that really happened after, uh, you know, the power of the force restarted in the nineties going forward. That was part of, again, their rebranding and to, to keep things fresh. So it's kind of hard in your mind's eye, for me anyway, to just see one card. But again, the closest that would be would be the classic Kenner cards from like the original figures, which they were very cool and smart to recreate when they did the anniversary, you know, the anniversary figures for the uh, in the black in the black series to yeah. recreate those cards. Like seeing Obi, seeing that Obi Wan, that classic Obi Wan card again, is is just really 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 cool. But but the packaging for He Man was so unique. That even now is just you know the color the color scheme and everything else and and the, and just the fact that so much of what we everything we know in a way not everything but so much of what we know came from the way they decided you know almost like retroactively to market it oh we well we're gonna have a comic book in there so people are gonna know what we're talking about it's like oh we're, <laughs> we're gonna well, oh we're gonna have an, we're gonna have a we're gonna have a movie it's like we're gonna have a movie it's like oh you know you could, for the same price of making a movie or you or two you could probably make a series it's like we're gonna do a series. <laughs> Yeah. And yeah, so I mean, He-Man's interesting also because of the ebb and flow. Because while it may not, you know, it's certainly I don't know if it ever really was at the peak of like maybe Star Wars certainly, but and it certainly has had had a lower valley, I think. <laughs> but it's just an it's an interesting back and forth with uh with He-Man. But yet because of the impact that it had and how it resonates with many people, you included, that that's why it belonged in that in this show, in the series, because it's a toy that, you know, goes on and for, goes on and on and on, pretty much. Can't say forever, but it goes on and on and on. I think in in a lot of ways, the He-Man line for me, it kind of set the bar as far as what makes a good toy. And I mean, and I'm not saying that they were perfect, but I mean, like, that was the toy line where, like, you've got He-Man who, you know, he had, like, the twist waist and the punch, um, you know, which is simple. It's basic. But then you had Stinkor. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they mixed, you know, like, the scent into the plastic so that the, the character actually smelled, you know, like, I think it was, like, patchouli oil or something like that. And then you had, um, like, Mossman who they flocked and also had a pine scent. And then you had, like, you know, Drag Store, who had a wheel in his, you know, stomach with a with a ripcord. And, you know, and, like, all these, like, you had, um, the, uh, the, one of the lizards, Khan, um, where, like, you push down on his head and, like, he squirts water out of his mouth. There were so many, different, like, special features built into these figures. They were basically, like, inventing these these features for other toy lines to use afterwards. So, like, like I said, like, I look at a toy line like He-Man was innovative. I judge, you know, other toy lines by, like, their, you know, their level of innovation. Like, Remember when uh, Tron Legacy came out? They came out with these figures where the the faces were digitized, so that like you press the button and like it 
digit, you know, it had like this digitized face that projected onto the screen, the uh, the helmet. Um, it was a really innovative idea, and I said, I'm like, you know what, like that's that's the kind of thing that like pushes toys forward. But um, yeah, He Man, He Man did that for me. No, I understand. That makes that makes perfect sense, and and the GI Joe thing. Uh, G.I. Joe is just interesting just because of how G.I. Yeah, the story of G.I. Joe is interesting just because it kind of goes with that classic idea that, you know, that success has many fathers, but, you know, failure is an orphan. (laughs) (laughs) Since there's so many, since there's so many people who legitimately have at least a partial claim to be able to say, hey, if I'm not the sole father of G.I. Joe, I'm certainly one of the fathers. Yeah. And just the fact that, you know, that G.I. Joe was kind of like, you know, born out of the the desire to have a ma- a male version of Barbie, but yet they didn't. They made sure they weren't going to call it a doll. <laughs> like the term action figure was coined from the you know the original you know 12 inch GI Joe line. They kind of again following the idea, much like Barbie, and almost like the idea of the disposable of the uh, disposable blade, not the disposable razor. The idea that the you know, make the razor cheap, but the blade's expensive. That you know, you had the fact that did we, that even though the figure itself was pr- was pretty pricey for its day, the GI Joe, that you know, you were really going to collect most of your money by just having them buy new uniforms and new equipment and do things like that. They didn't have to necessarily keep buying new dolls. They just needed to bu- new action figures. They just needed to buy new, you know, a- accoutrements and things like that to to take them on different events, different adventures. So <laughs> weapons, weapons, tanks, vehicles. yeah, vehicles. Uh, that that was that was that was cool, and again, again, like I mentioned before, the idea that you know because that was after that was after World War, you know, that was after World War Two, so you know everything was you know being being patriotic and being pro-military was super super positive at that point. So that you know that's what the market, you know, that's what people were into. Obviously, the parents would be happy buying that for their kids. Obviously, we got to Vietnam and the Vietnam era, and that's when you know being pro-military and being you know it was not quite this, quite as a, as it was from the public relations perspective. So that's when they started dialing it back and having them be more again like more adventurers. And that's when you had the, you know you know the scuba guys and and re- jungle recon guys, and then completely going off the rails with like the like the bullet the bullet. I remember the bullet figure, that bullet-headed guy. <laughs> I don't think I ever, I didn't have him, but I remembered him, and all these and and like almost like this laser tag dressed GI Joe guy, and then the line died, and then thanks to once again the the whole thing, the whole wave of patriotism that kind of took over when Reagan came into office, that that and as a counter punch in a way to to, to Star Wars, that that's when GI Joe was kind of recreated on a smaller scale, literally, to be not. To be le- to be more like a to be a group, not just an individual, and to again capture that just capture that patriotic feeling, but not necessarily be a, you know pro invading another country. Basically, be more like a, almost like a just being like an really be an anti-terrorist group for the most part. Uh, but and I thought the stuff with GI Joe was I, some of the stuff the most fascinating stuff was just how much influence like Marvel and everything ended up having on. You know the line and everything we think of GI Joe today. <laughs> you know it's interesting because like I have often heard about like the role that Larry Hama 
had in G.I. Joe. Like, you know, that he's, like, if you're a G.I. Joe fan, like, if you're, like, a hardcore G.I. Joe fan, like, you know the name Larry Hama, and you know it well. Um, but, I mean, I, I had no idea, like, the like the role that he did play. But, yeah, I mean, it, it was pretty significant, I, I, I from what I can say. Yeah, and even Jim Shooter and everybody else, yeah, the, the whole life. All the different, you know, the and with Archie Goodwin and everybody else was, I think, right? Goodwin was the one who came up with the name Cobra, right? He was the one I believe yeah, they said yeah. he came up with the actual name Cobra, and yeah. and but you know Marvel was the one who pointed out that hey, it's like all your your first wave of figures are all good guys. You who are they going to fight? <laughs> so the whole idea of having a having a rival organization, somebody to oppose GI Joe, really came from. From Marvel's input in trying to design the com, you know, and coming up with how to, how we're going to do the comic book, and also in, in helpful advice, you know, what to to what's going to be in the toy line, and of course it's still it may it's still funny as hell the idea that uh, they're coming up with all these figures, this first wave of figures, and it's like, well, we don't want to cut, they didn't want to cut down on the figures, so it's like, okay, well, there'll be one figure we won't paint, and we we, we won't put any real paint on at all. And that's going to be our compromise instead of cutting out a figure. And of course, that figure ended up being Snake Eyes, who pretty much is the most popular one of all. <laughs> that is just so funny. Every time I watch that, and I've watched an episode probably like two or three times. Like every time they get to that part, I just laugh out loud. It's it's uh, because it's just it's just so funny how how things work like that. It's like oh the one <laughs> the one figure that's just completely black because they didn't. Because they just didn't want to waste any more paint, and they wanted to make it cheap. That turned out that is like the probably the the icon, the most iconic of like the three and the three quarter GI Joe figures. Uh, but that, but that, I really, I didn't, I did enjoy that one. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure Transformers is in is in the next four. Oh well, the the next four episodes are going to be Lego. Hello Kitty, Transformers, and Star Trek. See, Star Trek is an interesting choice. Um, I no, I I get it because I mean, like, I think from a um, I don't know, like, for the from the the breadth of the line, like they made like everything, like they made they made everyone, like. They made so many figures and so many like versions of every figure from every movie. Like they they gave Star Star Wars like a run for their money. I think. I I, I do have very fond memories of the Mego figures, which I still hope if they end up doing they end up doing like a second season of these, really like continuing on. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, they they had to, they had they had to do Mego. Uh, obviously, Migo got mentioned a little in the GI Joe episode for because of their blatant ripoff of the body, of the body, <laughs> including the yeah. thumb, including the the thumbnail being turned on the wrong side of the finger, which was you know which was their their got their gotcha thing that uh that Hasbro did, but <laughs> but, but Migo didn't catch when they were ripping it off. That was kind of funny. Uh, but yeah, Migo would be. But I yeah I. I mean, I had, a, I had a bunch of things that were Star Trek, so I, I do understand the appeal. I do, I do. Um, and Hello Kitty, obviously, it's a, no pun intended. It's a different kind of animal, but I do. But I mean, we can kind of, we can kind of see like other, you know, we, uh, My Little Pony. You can see a bunch of different things. Mego obviously would be a Lego is a Lego obviously is a great. See, I think part of the things they look for with these, I would suspect, 
it's, longevity obviously is key, but I think it's also the evolution. Yeah. So with Lego, you're going to have a natural evolution because in the beginning, I mean, nowadays we are, and, and, and which is kind of funny because you and I have been yesterday talking about all the all the, <laughs> the all these knockoff Lego minifigs, including that awesome parallax one. <laughs> yeah. That they uh, that all today minifigs are so are arguably just as important, if not more important, than anything else that you get. But back in the day. There were there were nothing. You had nothing, and the regular in the regular brick sets you had nothing. I mean, I mean, was was Duplo the first set that actually had figures? Um, they might. I thought they might have been, even though because they were bigger and they were bo- they were. But just, well, it's possible. But there, like minifigures when they were created, did not look anything like today's minifigures. That's true too. So I mean, like. I think that there were minifigures like early on, but they were hideous and nobody, you know, nobody really liked them. But see, I, rem- I remember some of the sets they came out with in the late eighties, because that's when they started coming out with like the pirates. They did they, those, yeah, and yeah, those the, and, definitely had the, the yeah. Minifigs. They had minifigs, and they and obviously the you know the the grandfathers of today's minifigs, but I don't think they were that. I don't think they were that horribly different. Uh, no, no, the ones in the late 80s were very, similar. very close to, yeah. you know, what we see today. But as a, uh, I, th- I think you might be right, but I just remember looking at my st- – I just remember as a kid when I was playing with Legos, I didn't think there were any f- regular f- – any real – something I would consider to be figures. But you're right, maybe towards maybe maybe towards the late 70s, maybe they started coming up with something that was nothing close to what we consider minifigs today, but – but something, something along uh, those lines. Um, but again, Lego is natural because it's got such a perfect evolution, and also just because you, obviously you can talk about all the all the franchising and the branding that they do now. Yeah, uh, well, they all, had the franchising like yep. was nuts. Um, what you call it, with the minifigures? There is a very basic rudimentary minifigure that first appeared in '74 with the. Uh, Duplo figure in 76. So, but I mean, like, the faces were blank. They didn't have arms. Like, the arms were molded into the bodies. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. I'm trying to see if I could find, um, uh, until, oh, 1989, um, was yeah like the the faces were basically I mean the bodies were basically the same, but up until '89 the faces were like very simple like they had like the the two dots for eyes and the right. simple facial expression, and it wasn't until after that that they started um, you know changing the the looks a bit. Because I remember some of the pirates because I because I started get, I started getting back into that at that point so I I had. Uh... Like I had a, I remember I had a castle set, which I think were with knights, and I think they Me also because they had ghosts because I, I like that because they had the ghosts and some of the mini set, the mini sets had had the glow in the dark ghosts, but I, I think had that, both of those. Yep, and I had the, <laughs> and the pirate when they started doing the pirates, I had I think I had the big I think I had the big flagship at the time, and wow. and maybe one and maybe one of the one of the uh, the forts or something, but yeah, I do. I mean, I remember those. Those were. Those were pretty neat. Uh, 
So yeah, the natural. Actually, I'm looking at one right now. I see a picture of one that I actually, I absolutely had this set. Let's see if I can find it. Um, Send the picture over. I'm going to as soon as. It'd be hilarious if we both have the same Lego. I did not have a lot of Legos. Like I know that I did not, but like I remember one Christmas I got the castle and I was, you know, as happy as I could be. Let's see. Um, no. No, mine was definitely more of like a castle castle. I did Not too. I did too, but uh, I've, I'm trying – I just looked for the for a pirate set. I didn't look for the knights. If I looked for the knights, then maybe I would see uh, Knights Lego Castle. Let's see. Um, it might have been this one. Let's take a look. Yeah, I'm pretty, let, me, let me get this picture because I think – yeah, I, I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure this is the one that I had. Um, let's see. And if not, it was some. It was a set that was very, very similar to it because I had the skeleton. I remember the skeleton. I remember the different the guys on horseback. They, they may have had more. They may have had more than one castle, and they did. But I'm looking at. Oh yeah, no, they definitely did, but. Yeah, I don't it might know. actually, it, it, and if not, and if not, it was, it could okay. have been this one. Yeah, but. this this one was not it. I definitely didn't have this one. Um, that one, I, I, that could have been the one. I, that it's another contender. But I do, yeah. I did have a few. I did have a few of those sets. But yeah, that was released in 1990, so that's still possible. The one I just sent you was the King's Mountain Fortress was 1990, so that's possible. I, I did have that one. But yeah, so just the evolution of Legos from just where basically you you could just build like houses and and things like that, or build build your Lego gun and things like that. Yeah. <laughs> and now, Literally, like, yeah, yeah, like um, I remember because like since it was the biggest set that I had, I ended up taking my castle apart once, and I felt like the uh, like the Apollo, one of the Apollo ships. Because uh, it had like those those angled blocks from the castle. Mm. Uh, this, yeah, I. You know what? I don't think I'm ever gonna remember what it was. I just remember those angled blocks. But in any case, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to the next the next set of uh, episodes because they're produced so good. I mean, even the intro song is. Yeah, is the intro funny. song is cute. <laughs> Though obviously, if they're gonna do more than eight, they have to change the song a little. <laughs> or, or, or I guess if you do eight each season, you probably could get away with it. There you go. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah. So Migo, Migo's a, a great, a great option. Um, I don't know what else they'd do. And my, yeah, like you said, My Little Pony. That's that's a good one. That is a good one. Fisher, um, Fisher Price would probably be another good one. Little people and stuff <sighs> yeah, like that. Yeah, things like that. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Well, we don't have to de- debate that here, but no, we don't. But it's. Uh, but we could. We Let's could. We, 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 <laughs> well, but, but we we reserve the right to re- we reserve the the right to revisit that at some point. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so it was kind of, it was kind of nice getting back into uh, the toy thing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Oh, and I, I'll I'll close with uh, with one thing. 
I was at Kohl's yesterday. Uh, not a place that I really enjoy being, but <laughs> I like Kohl's. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Everything that they have is just a little too tight for me. But in any case, uh, we're going through the toys, looking for a birthday gift for a kid, and you know those like twelve-inch um, uh, figures that they sell for like ten bucks. Um, they have them for like Star Wars and. Marvel and DC and everything. The non-posable ones, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Like, they're slightly posable, but 12-inch figures. Well, DC and Marvel, and I think Transformers 2, have been doing, like, I guess uh, the smaller. I, I don't know if it's a full six inches. Maybe it's, like, a five-inch figure version of that. And it's, like, it's almost exactly like the tall versions, just shrunk down a bit. Um and I, I've seen like a, a number of figures, and yesterday at Kohl's was the first time that I had actually seen like a version of Green Lantern. So, so that's out there. That's but, cool. Uh, yeah, it was pretty neat. I didn't get it, but I, I'm glad that there's a Green Lantern toy being made right now because they are they are few and far between in the toy aisles. Yeah, the pendulum has kind of swung back back to the to the dark ages here uh, and there's no no pun intended there's no real light at the end of the tunnel at the moment <laughs> to, to, to when it's gonna when it's gonna turn around because 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 you obviously can't you can't you can't put a lot of hope in uh, the Green Lantern core movie assuming we, we ever get it Conti- yeah. consider if they continue to spit the bit like like that I don't know they may not that might be one movie Theoretically, that's really easy to scrap based on the fact that they, even though I don't think they should anymore, but they're still running scared from the first movie. And you know, to do that movie right, you're gonna have to spend a little more money than probably than you you, you spent on Wonder Woman, <laughs> just because of the construct. Yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully, hopefully they do. Yeah, but uh, it, it'll it'll look like an episode of The Flash. <laughs> <laughs> I like that show. I do too, but but. Even though I would, I would be lying if I said I watched much of it this season so far. I have to, I have to binge watch and catch up, or do what I did last year, which was not catch up all that much, and then just wait till it gets, <laughs> wait till it goes on Netflix, and then, and then catch up, and then. Oh, oh my God! What you just, you just triggered a, a, a memory. There, Mattel is coming out with uh, three new um, DC action figures, uh, like the six-inch line. They're ma- they are finally making a um, John Wesley ship flash figure. Oh, that's cool. They're making a I believe it's a Val Kilmer Batman and a uh, a Wonder Woman from uh, the TV show Linda, Linda Carter. Carter. Yeah. Those yeah, that, those would be nice, assuming as long as the sculpts are good. Yeah, that, I couldn't say they they didn't have a very large uh, photo, so you you couldn't see too many details. But I mean, like. The Flash costume looked great, so I'll I'll probably be getting one of those. I've been waiting for one of those for a while, so hopefully they do a good job with the sculpt. I hope yeah. so. Yeah, that those that's definitely something worth uh, worth keeping an eye out for. Definitely. So. Okie doke. So, so we'll wrap we'll wrap it up now. Um, so if anybody if we if you want to contact us, lanterncast at gmail.com. Website is lanterncast.com 
Twitter and Facebook. We are on both. Use GLCast, hashtag, excuse me, GLCast to locate us on either of those. iTunes and Stitcher, whichever platform you listen to us on, please leave us a positive review. And last but not least, 708 Lantern is the voicemail. So let us know what you think. And hopefully Jim and I will, won't be as gone for as long a period this time. Um, <laughs> At least from my perspective, Jim may feel differently, but I'll I'll I'll, I'll give you some kind of toy hook to to, to pull him back in. <laughs> well, I mean, I do I I enjoy coming on and talking. I don't always enjoy the content, but <laughs> I do enjoy coming on and talking. So that's why I think we may go the route that we you and I have been kind of talking about the last couple of times as possible next episode because I still think that's. I so if you don't like that one, then I think it's kind of hopeless for the rest of this <laughs> the rest of this run. I mean, like the thing that doesn't really help is that I don't really read many comics anymore, so it's almost as if like I don't you know I don't know they they just they don't appeal to me the same way that they used to, you know, back in the day. Um, so I mean, like I'm not really sure that I'm ever gonna find anything where I'm like, oh my god, that was amazing again. But uh, that would be cool if I do. So keep keep trying. That's that's how we feel reviewing the monthly books these days. <laughs> yeah, I, I just I went to the comic book store this week and got a stack of them, and don't really have a whole lot of uh, motivation to want to go through them. But eh, I guess at some point I will. I like that they brought in Bullfunga. I saw him on the covers. Yeah, that's a that's a. It's a two-issue arc, so it doesn't, it's the only – since you – I'll be I'll be cryptic since you haven't listened to that episode yet. That no. The, the, the only thing with Bullfunga is that they kind of they kind of try to do some kind of retconning with Bullfunga and, and, his, and, and who he is and stuff. So whether – so your, how you feel about that will greatly depend probably on how you think of the arc. I mean there's some good things to it. But it's it's certainly do, kind of doing kind of lifting the kind of more, more like I think they're trying to do it more like more like your your classic Jeff Con where again it's not necessarily destroying things that you've seen before you're just seeing more they're lifting the veil and you're seeing stuff you never saw before which fills in pieces and then thus changes your the way you view things but okay so I'll be in, I'll be interested to see to, to see what you think about that when it comes out but. And the controller, the, the uh, Twilight of the Guardians arc was kind of interesting. That's what Chad and I just. That's what oh we just yeah. Did. That's what we just did the other day. So that, so that's that'll be a cool arc. That'll be interesting to see what you think about that one too. Cool. Very cool. Cool. Uh, yeah. Well. Oh, um, if anybody wants to, you know, follow me in any way, shape, or form. I am almost exclusively on Instagram as uh, at Choanata, C-H-O-A-N-A-T-A, at Choanata, Instagram. No new, no new movement on the slider cast right now. Ah, uh, no. I, it's, I, podcasting in general. I mean, I, I enjoy it, but the time is just not, uh, not, not too easily obtainable. So. And it's going to get busier. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Uh, so I think that'll wrap us for tonight. Thanks for thanks for coming back, Jim. <laughs> Absolutely. So we will talk to you soon, and good night, everybody. So long. Quarters in the session. A
I get to live. 